Hello, hello. Hi. I'm Chris. And I'm Alice. And you're listening to Xena Made Me Gay. In the times of brick phones, tamagotchis, and curtain bangs, the 90s kids cried out for a badass. She was Xena, the warrior princess. The kicks, the moves, the nostalgia, the queerness. Xena made us gay. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. (laughs) So. Exciting. It is, it is. So today we are going to be talking about uh, episode 13 of season one called, this is quite a mouthful, Athens City Academy of the Performing Bards. (laughs) Just rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a mouthful, but it's a great title. But before we dive into my... I, I'm dying love for this episode. Okay, okay. Mm. I just listened to a bunch of holiday podcasts, and one of them was rating the storylines in the movie Love Actually. So I don't think that we're quite there yet, so we can like rate the storylines, but I was thinking that we know the recurring characters, like apart from Xena and Gabrielle, that are... Uh, in the series and like some of them get more screen time some of them get less screen time and like some of them have not appeared yet in the uh, point of the show that we're now Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that most of the listeners know about them Mm -hmm. so I would want us to kind of like do this fun exercise and rate the 10 characters I only have nine but there's a space for one more for you to add because I'm sure I forgot someone Uh uh from least important to most important to the story and that I want to emphasize that it's not good it's not going to be our favorite characters because that's then you know who my favorite is but yeah just, <laughs> just in terms of how much do they influence the story how important char- like as characters how important they are mm-hmm. and yeah so um in my list I have Autolycus Hercules mm-hmm. Boo. Salmonius that we just saw, Joxer that we're about to see, mm-hmm. Callisto that also we're about to see, Xena's mom who has a name but I forgot it, <laughs> <laughs> Ares, Caesar, Solon. So in terms of this 10th person, um, I have mm-hmm. two suggestions. Suggestion number one okay. is Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she appears quite a few times and suggestion yes. number two is gabrielle's demon baby oh god yeah let's stick with aphrodite <laughs> <laughs> bomb ourselves out <laughs> yeah okay yeah so in terms of the list uh we agreed which characters are going to be on the list with chris and that we separately ranked them from least important to most important and here are our rankings okay so in the 10th place we have Solmonius, who i love dearly but he is there more for comic relief and he does not continue contribute that much to the story 
So that's why for me he is he's number ten. Uh, number nine, we have Solon, and that's an interesting choice because like he he is very important to Zena, but we don't see a lot of him from the moment he's introduced to the moment he's dead. So technically, he's important as a plot point, but he's not important as a character. Um, eight, Zena's mom. I agree. We don't see a lot of her, and like she's not that important to the whole storyline, and she's not she's underdeveloped as a character. I would say um seven i think aphrodite and she's up there because like although she does not appear a lot um i'm not gonna get into that because i would have to retell the whole story of the last season but i think that in the last season she plays a pretty crucial role Mm. so i kind of want to keep her up there because of that um six is caesar and (laughs) Wow! You thought you you thought he would be number one. I mean, <laughs> definitely not number six. Wow. Um. Yeah. I again. I love this character. I love this ca- actor. But like, he's important because he's part of the origin story, and he keeps reoccurring as this arch nemesis. Um. But uh. Yeah. He he's not that important. So I would put him higher up and there are more important characters uh fifth is autolycus um he is not crucial to the overall storytelling but he appears a lot and it seems like if we would ask ourselves who is the best friend of gabrielle and xena i would say autolycus kind of is like up there on the list right yeah i'd say so um he he's buddies with them and like we could see that both Gabrielle and Zena separately have this nice friendship with him eventually Mm. so he's important Hercules is number four he's also part of the origin stories moving on (laughs) (laughs) um Joxer is number three and like in terms of screen time he would be number one but I think that in terms of the role he plays, yeah, he he's important, but not the most important. Mm-hmm. Eris is number two, um, because yeah, he's like they have a very complex relationship with Zena, and at some point start having a very complex relationship with Gabrielle. So he's like an important heterosexual dude in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> who throughout the story the writers kept thinking of ways to write her in and make her important and again my theory is is that they were so fond of the actress but anyway she really did a great job and it's an interesting character that has a lot of twists and turns throughout the story cool so you go now yes yes, (laughs) let me do mine so in terms of number 10 i have xena's mom uh the fact that Mm -hmm. i don't remember a single episode that she's in aside from the first one um Mm -hmm. made me put her there because every everyone else i remember them actually being recurring characters like even if she does appear in some other episodes i i can't i can't recall that so xena's mom goes into the last place then mm-hmm. number nine is Salmonius. I love him. Um, 
but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah when when he appeared in that in that recent episode i was like oh yeah like we're gonna see a lot of him and then i and i looked up um the actor's imdb imdb page and it was just like i think three or four episodes total in, in the whole series and um i guess i saw him so much in hercules that i was like oh yeah mm. that's my buddy Solomonius. like i i see him all the time <laughs> but actually in specifically in the xena universe he he doesn't play that larger role um i yeah. don't remember the last season of xena that well which is why aphrodite is in uh the eighth place i know that you said that she plays an important role um at that point i just i don't remember it <laughs> which is why Fair. she's she's number eight for me um then number seven is solon again i remember him popping up and dying very quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that is kind of it <laughs> you know so i i um uh, can't put him higher than that mm-hmm. um i put joxer in the sixth place uh so uh-huh. a lot lower than you because yeah even though we see him a lot i feel like just in terms of story progression and character development i don't think he contributes as much He's just there to yeah. be a comic relief character and sing stupid songs and uh, <laughs> be related to one of the creators. <laughs> Apparently, uh, also attract a child audience. Because yeah, you, I, you said that you really liked him. As, as a child, as like a five, six-year-old, I fucking loved him. He was my guy. <laughs> Um, and look, maybe as, as he, uh, appears in, over the course of, of us reviewing these episodes, I will, I don't know, have a more nuanced take, <laughs> but so far, uh, my journey <laughs> with Joxer was, uh, love the guy as a tiny, tiny human. Uh, I'm really annoyed by the guy in my 20s and uh yeah (laughs) to be to be determined um as a 30 year old um in the fifth spot i've got hercules uh, so important in xena's origin story and he does appear i don't know once or twice in the series itself um more than we would want to (laughs) for sure for sure (laughs) Um, but overall, there are more important characters. Then I have Atalicus as number four. So mm-hmm. appears quite a lot. Uh, is I think you, you described him really aptly as probably Zena and Gabrielle's best friend. Um, and mm. yeah, I would say his contributions are important enough for me to place him fairly highly then i have caesar um so (laughs) it's funny that (laughs) wow yeah yeah yeah, i'm the one placing caesar higher up um i'm curious to know why (laughs) i don't know i feel like he is important in terms of our understanding of 
who Xena is and why she is the way that she is um, and kind of what uh, demons from her past she's battling and he's a very good representation of that Um, but definitely part of the reason I'm placing him this highly is that you have uh, (laughs) your your propaganda (laughs) your Caesar propaganda (laughs) has worked okay you have been successful you have brainwashed me into thinking that Caesar is important I hope you're proud of yourself I really am. But actually, now I tend to agree with you more in terms of placing him high up on the list because I remembered that also there's going to be, it's going to be way into the series, I think also season six or something, mm-hmm. that Zena and Gabrielle kind of have this alternate lives. Yes. Like, how would they live? And like, Zena's alternative storyline is being married to caesar yeah so yeah that's interesting oh i remember that episode yeah (laughs) um yes and uh my top two are um reversed uh in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, where you place them so i have Callisto as number two and aries as number one Again, because I don't remember that much about what they did with Callisto beyond like her initial role. I I totally believe you that that they like kept <laughs> bringing her back and that she she kept playing different kinds of roles. But it's just that's not the uh, the memory that I have of her as a character. But obviously, important mm-hmm. appears a lot. That's that's totally fair. And uh, yeah, Ares is my number one because, again, I feel like he's so formative in terms of who Xena is, how did she become herself, uh, what she had to like push against as she changed her life. Um, mm-hmm. So that's um, why he's number one. And also, have you seen that that's- belt? That belt already propels him. That up. belt, that vest, that's true. That yeah. facial hair. Also, <laughs> that that facial, the the shape of the facial hair oh, yeah. changes constantly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but also, really, I I love this character because he he also could be just this monster that we keep coming back to uh, that was important in Xena's past. Mm-hmm. But it's cool that he has his own character, his own storyline his own development as a character mm-hmm. like the areas that we see in season one and in season six are like they're like totally different so yeah but I, not totally different in a, in a way that's like oh no y'all didn't have any idea about what you were doing <laughs> no definitely and like he's he not progressive he does not develop yeah he does not develop a new personality he does not like become a goody two-shoes all of a sudden mm-hmm. but he yeah he does progress as a, as a character yeah. and that's why we love him oh all right so that's our ranking i'm sure some of you disagree so let us know if you have your own version of this yes by the way we're going to post our ranking on our insta at xena made me gay you should follow our insta (laughs) because i know that 
we don't have a lot of listeners, but some of you have been asking, like, where can you follow us on social media? And by some of you, I mean one. So <laughs> that's one person. <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for the rating on uh, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. And thank you for listening. And please subscribe to our Insta because we do announce the new episodes there. Okay. Awesome. Shameless plug time over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, we've recorded 13 episodes without mentioning it. So I feel like if anything, it was kind of overdue. So shall we go to the episode? Yeah, on to the episode. So we open with... Nope. No, we don't. We're straight in. We don't open <laughs> with anything. It's it's already happening by the time we, we tune in. Uh, it's the middle of a fight scene. And it's Xena against a bunch of guys and she's kicking and punching and jumping around and screaming and it's all happening when record scratch we're in a tavern somewhere <laughs> and some old man is complaining to gabrielle about the continuity error in her story see yeah. it's it's dark during the fight scene but it shouldn't be the story started in the morning so it must be day now gabrielle mm -hmm. doesn't appreciate being interrupted yeah, yeah. I love how Gabby continues the story almost like she's this ambitious theater playwright during a table read. She like lifts her arms in the air and she says, day, and then continues to tell the story. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Yeah. Okay, so as we find out immediately, this is the first kind of meta-ish episode of Xena that we get. And um, as the series progresses and the writer's room gets a bit tired, possibly a bit more drunk. <laughs> and high. Yes. At some, in some episodes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, allegedly, we, we did not have any <laughs> confirmation that allegedly yes, yes, yes. yes. It, we say it with love yes absolutely absolutely <laughs> and so as the writer's room um you know goes through different <laughs> states of consciousness <laughs> these kinds of episodes are going to be happening more and more and so um here clearly gabriella's acting is kind of a stand-in for those writers who are seems like self-aware enough to know that they too probably will be or maybe already have at this point been called out for continuity errors themselves yes de definitely and look i love meta episodes i think when we discussed it at the very beginning i said that those are one of my favorites and this one is done particularly well so i'm very excited for this one yeah i did not experience this episode <laughs> in the same way so okay, it'd be, it'd okay be interesting uh, as we as we continue discussing it mm -hmm. anyway um gabrielle quickly adjusts the story as you said to happen in the daytime mm -hmm. and we find out that we actually already know this story it's episode six the reckoning featuring our friend fax machine face guy um, for those that don't get the <laughs> reference, <laughs> you can go back and, and listen to our episode on, on episode six. 
Um, mm -hmm. So we do kind of a speed run through a few key scenes of that episode with Gabrielle narrating the plot, uh, minus the Ares storyline. And mm -hmm. the audience really loves it. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if Gabby actually told the audience what happened and how Ares was involved, because in the episode itself, episode six of Xena Warrior Princess, Gabrielle was kept completely in the dark of what was going on and everybody else also. And just at the end, we have those people brought back from the dead, like, surprise, hello. <laughs> so I, I wonder how that is explained in Gabrielle's story. Well, at, at the very end of that episode, uh, Xena starts telling Gabrielle about Ares. So I think she kind of filled her in at that point. Yes, yes, hopefully she did. And I think since those are uh, the times, if Gabrielle would just say, and then the god of war, Ares, appeared and did this and this and this, they would be like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, that happens. So I really find charming when Gabrielle retells those stories from the past episodes. But I wonder if that's a choice or just they did sort of a crappy job with it but every time she retells things she's very cheesy and commercial like she's not a good writer but no. on the other hand maybe she just really has like this commercial success in like telling those really straight to the point uncomplicated stories because she's getting tipped well in this tavern when she finishes the story and I assume that that might be their family income with Xena because Xena does not get paid for her adventures she mm. usually helps the common folk and does not take any money from them so maybe the money comes from Gabrielle being a storyteller oh yeah that's a good point interesting but yeah mm -hmm. I I agree that so the, the episode <laughs> wants us to think that Gabrielle is amazing at storytelling, but everything that we actually see and hear, and hear yeah. indicates <laughs> the exact opposite, <laughs> which is, yep. yeah, as, as we'll keep discussing, the episode is kind of one of the reasons it really didn't work for me. It just kept mm, distracting okay. me. The fact that mm -hmm. the the reality that the plot demands is so not in sync <laughs> with what we're being shown, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so as uh, everyone is congratulating Gabrielle on, on being so amazing at storytelling, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we see a cute little twink uh, come up to Gabrielle and compliment her also. And he mm -hmm. asks her where she trained and whether she's going to be taking part in the upcoming bard competition at the Athens City Academy of the Performing Bards. And uh, <laughs> this actually marks the fourth episode in a row where the title of the episode is actually said by someone in it. Here, I also, uh, coming back to the title, I also like that uh, Athens Academy of the Performing Bards is definitely a hint of Athens to the, or like any Academy of the Performing Arts. 
I guess a bard is kind of like a mix between a writer and an actor because mm. you have to tell that story. So um, we're going to see the reality of Juilliard kids <laughs> in this in this episode, and that's what I really like. <laughs> so if that twink looks kind of familiar to you, it might be that you've actually seen that actor playing one of the hobbits in that uh, soulless hobbit trilogy <laughs> that some of us <laughs> suffered through. <laughs> The twink says that the top four contestants would get the invitation to study at the academy. And Gabrielle asks him whether he also tells stories. But before the twink opens his mouth, his uh, daddy steps up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> But before the twink opens his mouth, his um, daddy steps up and answers for him that, yes, the twink tells stories, but no, he doesn't have time to do it now. The twink protests mm -hmm. and tells his daddy that Gabrielle was great, which the daddy immediately dismisses, saying that he's sure that the story was cute. But the academy is for talented people and not people who know how to buy shoes. I mean, um, not for women who would bore everyone with stories about housework. On that note, the daddy takes the twink away, leaving Gabrielle in a mixed state of outrage and perplexion, which must be extremely familiar to many women. <laughs> That's true, that's true. Yeah, it was masterfully done how he insults her with his comments about housework. Um, and I really enjoy how Gabby is fuming when someone is insulting her craft. So I would imagine she would be fuming if she listened to this episode. Sorry, Gabrielle. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. So <laughs> Zena walks in almost immediately after that bringing news about a cyclops that steals cattle in some nearby village, telling Gabrielle that uh, they can be there the next morning. And Dina is sure that Gabrielle is on board, but Gabrielle pauses for a while and is like, how far is it to Athens? I really like the comedy music that is playing on the background here, like, da 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 da, -da. <laughs> like, we're about to see a funny episode. Uh, but also, I feel bad for Xena mm -hmm. in this scene, because she is so excited about Cyclops stealing cattle from the village, yay! And she finally kind of came to terms with Gabrielle being around and not trying to in her usual fashion to get rid of her. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I, I felt sad for her there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna get even sadder in a moment because yeah. <laughs> because after the intro, Gabrielle explains to Zena how it's a super rare opportunity to study at the academy and how she wants to pursue this dream of hers. And Zena is mm -hmm. genuinely encouraging, but there's clearly quite a lot of sadness in that encouragement already as she, you know, mm -hmm. asks Gabrielle about how long she would be away, how long it takes to to complete the, the studies. So Gabrielle says it would be yeah, four or five years, um, but that Zena mm -hmm. would hardly even notice her absence. Mm -hmm. um, and so Zena 
smiles and says that even if she had an army around her, she would still notice her absence. Oh. It's it's a yeah. very, very tender moment. And I think that it's a moment that is pretty much impossible to mistake for anything but love. It's just so yeah, palpable definitely. at that time. And um, <laughs> it's almost uh, time for, for the holidays right now. And there's this <laughs> infamous incest Folgers commercial <laughs> making the rounds. Bear with me, bear with me. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like make it make sense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I just, uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like be, the commercial kind of is a good illustration of how you can infuse something in a scene, even if like the script doesn't necessarily give you everything, um, or doesn't like have as much explicit. Uh, text in it that would be like oh wow mm-hmm. that's that's a love story there and i feel like yeah in in the this uh <laughs> incest folders commercial <laughs> and in this scene with with gabrielle and xena they're just so much subtext uh and i feel like yeah with with xena and gabrielle almost more that you can you can feel that this is the place that the um, the situation is coming from Definitely, yeah. We would have to post a link to the Folgers commercial that we mentioned so much um, on our Instagram <laughs> so people would see it. It really is iconic. I, I'm sure that most people saw it. But coming back to Zena and Gabrielle and their love story, it's interesting to me in terms of witnessing their relationship happening on screen because for me, that's the beauty of the first season. We kind of mm-hmm. see the story happening and at some point it is established and it's, then it's just like the development of their relationship. So here, Zina is pretty much confessing her love, mm-hmm. not in a straightforward way, yeah. but basically we can feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because given how enthusiastic Gabrielle was at the very beginning to travel with Zina and how in all she was when she saw her, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that Gabrielle falls in love first mm. but here it kind of seems that that Zena is the one who at least who realizes that those feelings are the feelings on, of love but on the other hand Zena has more experience with lesbian love like we definitely assume that there has been something with Laoma in her past maybe other women too mm. and and Gabrielle is like fresh and new to all of this so she might <laughs> She might already feel those feels, but doesn't recognize them. Yeah, really. yeah, which uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would also be familiar with. Been there, yeah. <laughs> so there's this really tender moment, and it, and it continues. It like keeps building up because Zena offers to accompany Gabrielle to Athens, and uh, she says that she herself actually knows a story. And it's a story about two orphans who go on a journey to find their families, only to find out that they were each other's family all along. And Gabrielle knows the story and even finishes it in unison with Zina. Uh, mm-hmm. Zina thanks Gabrielle for being her family and says that Gabrielle is like a sister to her, which... <laughs> Makes me even gladder that I brought up the fucking Folgers commercial. 
because that's exactly the kind of sisterhood we're talking about here. Yep. Yeah, anyway, by the end of the conversation, both Dina and Gabrielle are tearing up. Then we get a scene that immediately looks kind of off. It looks like a cheap peplum movie. It doesn't look like it's from Xena. There are some Roman soldiers standing around, and they're about to take out their swords. But then we hear that the narrator stutters, and we see mm -hmm. the soldiers kind of follow that stuttering as their swords go in and out and in and out as if someone's rewinding and replaying the tape over and over. And yeah. we then see our narrator sitting next to the twink. And uh, the narrator <laughs> is worrying that his stutter would ruin his chances at the competition. Yeah, it's one, one of those artistic choices that I adore about this episode. And I think that that's why it's one of my favorite. I really mm -hmm. like when they're playing with those um, cutouts from old movies. And I assume that they are real old movies that, that they used for, for this thing, like old peplums, like little snippets of them. Um, and especially since there's not much action going on in this episode. And it's very, very hard to make storytelling exciting. Like those competitions between people just like saying words, they're basically talking heads. So I think that this choice of actually showing the style of every single wannabe bard of the Academy performance to kind of like have it give them their own style of peplum movie or in Gabrielle's case like episode of Xena Warrior Princess to illustrate their abilities yeah I I find, find it charming and that's that's why I love this episode basically yeah yeah no that's that's fair and, and that part is indeed well done um so the twink then notices Gabrielle who has also arrived to compete and together they look around at the other bards yeah, yeah, that's also one of my favorite parts because they look around at the other bards and we see them telling their stories and like the words that they use and how they look. So one of the bards that is introduced is Euripides. Who's <laughs> like a, a real playwright, um, an author of Medea and Iphigenia in Taurus. And I had to read a lot of his stuff uh, when I was getting my journalism degree uh, in the university. And I would say that, yes, they portrayed him accurately. Like he's this pretentious sort of douchey character who always speaks in cryptic verse, which fair, I, I would say that's a fair <laughs> betrayal. Aww. And then the other thing that I maybe like even more is like, we see another bard who's like, and then this guy hit him and this guy <laughs> hit him again. <laughs> and his name is Stellanus, <laughs> who, as I understand, he's like the ancient Greek blockbuster author, which is absolutely priceless. But this one is not real, right? Stellanus. <laughs> I don't know. No. Okay. <laughs> well, you 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 no, I... you you made you you like made it sound like they're all real because you were talking about yes. Yes, yes, sorry. They, I like how they also mix the real ones and the made-up ones, and I assume that Stallone is just like a, a hint to Sylvester Stallone. That's why I say that it, I, maybe he could be even dressed in first. <laughs> 
But that's reserved for the Barbie movie much later. The Barbie movie much later? Because Ken being dressed in this fur coat was heavily inspired by Sly Stallone and his his style, like when he was dressing in coats. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a snippet yeah. that I think Greta even even talking about. So and I think that when uh coming back to Barbie movie when Ken is in this center, like where does he go? Like some some business center? And he sees Sylvester Stallone in a, in a coat on the oh, screen. That's right. The, right. Of course. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's where he gets the idea that like cool dudes dress like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I like this mix of real offers that is just like a breadcrumb for 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 those who maybe like me <laughs> studied them at some point and like just a reference to pop culture that's that's cool yeah yeah and i think that's something that um xena as a show enjoys playing with generally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so gabrielle then uh, talks uh, more with the with the twink and she says that she never got the chance to introduce herself and so she does that the twink says that he doesn't actually like his name and that he's thinking of changing it to something heroic like draco Gabrielle is like, no, 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 I, I've met Draco, he's a villain. And uh, <laughs> that kind of segues us into getting a few flashbacks to the very first episode of the series. And so I have to say that unlike the previous ones, this one does feel a bit gratuitous and kind of an excuse mm-hmm. to reuse old footage. Um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't quite work for me here. But anyway, Gabrielle narrates Cena's fight with Draco and by the time she finishes uh, we see that there's a crowd gathered around Gabrielle enthralled by her storytelling and again it's just yeah. it's not very convincing the story itself is not particularly compelling Gabrielle doesn't necessarily give it anything special as a narrator either but yeah yeah I, I think that the problem here is that we hear too much of her voice narrating the story mm. and it's not good yeah. the way it's written. It's like, it's perfectly fine, but it's nothing that would make you gasp. It's like, the, think, like the summary that you would read on IMDb or Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's informative, but it's nothing more. And like, usually when they do that in TV, it's like, I think as a rule, it's best to either just have the author say and then this is what happened Mm. and then you just show the video and we imagine that she's very good at retelling it Mm. or just do a fucking good job what we discussed recently the writers of the birdcage do such a great job by Mm. writing the comedy that albert does and like there are movies where performances are actually shown and they're great but like when they're shown and they're not great and we're like just supposed to understand that they're great by the reaction of other characters that feels very forced yeah i mean you you do know our listeners weren't present for our conversation about the birdcage yesterday right yes okay (laughs) yesterday we were discussing the birdcage again (laughs) living our gay lives you know (laughs) we do discuss birdcage a lot um 
But I, I want to say that we already, I already mentioned it in our previous episodes, like the the special one that we did. Hmm. But yeah, no, in the bird cage, there is a, no, no, it was. No. I mean, maybe was... you did in that one too, but but uh, the, you you mentioned it last episode. So I mentioned the bird cage every time, <laughs> every chance I get. <laughs> but what I was going to say that there is a like a little snippet of a performance by Albert, who's a drag queen. And it's really fucking good. And like, mm-hmm. when you see it on the screen, you see a little part of it, but you're like, I would sit for that mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. I like it. But that's a rare thing in movies. Yeah, for sure. So the twink asks Gabrielle for a different name suggestion since Draco is out. And she suggests Orion. And we still don't find out... Um, what is the original name that the twink wants to change yeah yeah that's that's coming much later yes. but yeah in terms of gabby's talent i don't want to just sit here and diss on gabrielle the whole time that we're discussing this episode um i would just i i, I wrote here that i kind of sometimes think that she's like the stephanie meyer of ancient greece and again, sorry to all our listeners who actually love Stephanie Meyer's writing, but yeah, to me, she's very commercially successful, but it's not good writing. Mm. Um, but maybe that's what we're supposed to think that like Gabrielle's writing, or should I say just like Gabrielle's storytelling is very accessible. So that's, mm. that's why people love it. Yeah, yeah, it could be. So we then see the bards checking in at uh, a reception desk, I guess. Uh, the, the series like sprinkling in these very modern uh, aspects of, of life into whatever our characters are doing. And we find out mm-hmm. that Gabrielle is not registered, but she has a plan. So her plan is she distracts the reception desk lady by tipping over a plate of scrolls and uses that moment as the lady is scrambling to pick them up from from the floor to sneak in her own scroll. And that scroll says that Mm -hmm. Gabrielle is participating. And Gabrielle's scroll is clearly (laughs) super wrinkled and the writing there is different, but for whatever reason, the reception desk lady does not seem to notice or maybe she doesn't care that something's off. but because Gabrielle is not officially registered, there's no info anywhere about her lodging. So she's put up in a servant's quarter. And uh, Gabrielle answers that all artists must suffer for their art, which is a claim. <laughs> but I also really like how the receptionist lady is portrayed. She's really authentic. She's really recognizable, a recognizable bureaucrat of the system. She's like, just leave me alone. You, you, you're here. Your name is here. Okay, whatever. Just go. I need to have my tea with biscuits. <laughs> we then see a kind of orientation event where one of the competition organizers uh, reminds the participants about the competition rules. Yeah, and again, I think it's done really well. The main guy is like, for the next few days, your life belongs to the muse. <laughs> And I've been to several creative writing classes and groups like that. And that condescending voice that he takes on with the students, it's spot on. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really well done. They, they are really like that. Oh. 
However, um, not everything goes quite as smoothly um, because as everyone is finding their seats, some guy bumps into Gabrielle in a pretty aggressive way. She's like, "What? what's wrong with you? Like, what's happening? So she sits mm-hmm. down, but then keeps looking at that guy and clearly something's off about him. The twink asks Gabrielle about what is wrong and... She says that she's just thinking like a certain friend of hers and there's nothing that can happen in an event like that. But she's wrong because Mm -hmm. right after she says that, the suspicious guy runs at the competition organizer screaming and brandishing a knife, stabs the man and jumps out the window. (laughs) Except that it's all fake. So the man gets up and explains that they all just witnessed an event and now they need to make it into a story. And Gabrielle is not having it. She tells the not at all stabbed man that what they witnessed was actually a manipulation. She says that the real event would be the death of the men because death is not necessarily the end. It can be <laughs> a beginning. As we know from the mummy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I also immediately thought of, of the mummy. Um, but yeah, this is where we get into another flashback. And again, it feels quite gratuitous here. Um, so we see the Death and Chains episode. Uh, I don't know. Look, clip shows are a tough genre, I think, generally. Mm. And I just, I don't know whether this one is working that well, with specifically with the incorporation of, of those clips. Like, there are good aspects in this episode, but like the way that they work in those, this old footage, I don't know. It just, I, I found it a bit annoying, <laughs> to be honest. I also found it annoying, but for me, it was an annoying behavior of the character rather than an annoying use of the clip. Because essentially what happened there is that Mm. the organizers of the competition wanted to stage a little thing to inspire their candidates, like a little show with the announcements. That's kind of cool. I never been to a writing class where someone would come in and try to kill the writer, but I think... (laughs) I would be pretty excited. (laughs) So that's kind of like a nice, innocent idea. And then one of the candidates stands up is like, "Uh, actually, that's all fake um, because you didn't really die. (laughs) Like, no shit. And I'd like, oh, let me tell you what the story really is. Listen to the story I wrote least recently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a very cringy episode and that's like a it's cringy behavior but i think that's just cringy behavior from gabrielle's side mm. which is totally her personality she she does cringy things sometimes yeah yeah i i get that i get that i hmm. let me think about that <laughs> Yeah, but so Gabrielle com- continues being kind of a dick about this whole thing. And she <laughs> she finishes telling her story, tells the organizer that her story is better because <laughs> his uh, 
lacked a moral. There was no moral to his story. Ew. And then the audience cheers. Which is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, we just have to accept that everybody else, like every other character thinks that Gabrielle is a genius. Yeah. And we don't. No. <laughs> So outside the twink asks Gabrielle out on a date, quote unquote, to discuss storytelling. <laughs> and uh, she agrees, but then the evil daddy again <laughs> takes the twink away and tells him, keep to yourself. I love how you keep calling him daddy. Although I never saw anything else but like the controlling father in this character, now I cannot unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's very ancient Greek of them. <laughs> so we cut to someone narrating yet another clip from a Peplum movie. So again, it's not Xena. And we see that some hero rips the chains from the wall and runs out to a plaza where a bunch of people are fighting and then kind of swings his chains around and fights the people around him. And here Gabrielle again interrupts the narrator who, as we can see, has gotten into this like action storytelling frenzy and was actually swinging a pillow around and bumping into people. Um, so that's uh, Stallonis. And, um, Gabrielle is like, but what's the moral of the story? <laughs> she is really getting on my nerves at this point. She's like, that's true. She straight up tells the guy that his story is exciting, but empty. Bitch. I don't know. <laughs> this, this sounds really harsh. I don't know. Alice, as a, as a writer yourself. Someone who has been to those types of events. I'm curious about your perspective here. Yeah, well, in terms of ripping your fellow writer to shreds, definitely that's a reality of those writing groups. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely happening there. Uh, some more than others. Like, I've been accepted to one of the creative writing courses where, like, there was a poetry group, which I was in, and a prose group. And... As I heard, the prose group were sweethearts to one another Aww. and very gentle. <laughs> like, the poetry group, <laughs> like the lyrical souls were like vicious sharks. No. And I even heard them like, like the people who were there for a second year in a row, they're like, well, that's a process. We just have to like destroy a person and completely convince a person that the writing is shit. And then they have a mental crisis and then they become a better writer oh my god <laughs> yeah i recognize the russian school of education in this yes yes that being said if like anyone would ask what's the moral of the story at those classes they would be laughed out of the room sorry gabrielle <laughs> yeah oh my god so the group continues to talk and they start talking about xena so it turns out that one of them actually watches Hercules. <clears throat> I mean, knows the story <laughs> about Zeno seducing Aeolus and making him fight Hercules. So we get those flashbacks as well. Um, mm -hmm. And Gabrielle admits that those stories are true, but notes that they're only half the story. 
And then we cut to more flashbacks. And now it's about how Xena left the Republican Party. Uh, Stop being a film. <laughs> the audience is again yeah. super into it and they want more. But Gabrielle kicks everyone out because she wants to sleep. Yeah. And when she falls asleep, before she falls asleep, she says, I wonder what Xena is up to now, which is a nice reminder that Xena is still on her mind. Aww. We cut to the next day and the twink is kind of testing out his story on Gabrielle. And the ending of that story seems vaguely familiar, but we don't dwell on it at that point. Mm -hmm. So Gabrielle continues to be a harsh critic of literally everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and she tells the twink that she just couldn't see it. Uh, she asks the twink about why he keeps looking at her as he telling the story as if it's weird like why is it weird to look at the person that you're telling a story to as you're telling them like that sounds normal and that's what gabrielle also does it seems yeah. actually <laughs> whatever so the it because the plot demands it of course she yeah she asks just the right question because the twink says that the daddy told him to always pay attention to the listener's reaction and to adjust the story based on whether the listener seems bored or distracted. And I mean, I don't know, depending on the magnitude of those adjustments, that actually sounds like solid advice to me. Like you should be aware of what your listening listener is doing. Like, does your listener look bored? Maybe that's cause you're being fucking boring, you know, like, it, it doesn't seem like bad advice. It's just about like how much you actually change based on that. If it's just like tiny, tiny adjustments, that that sounds like an absolute reasonable thing for me. Maybe it depends on what genre it is. I'm, I'm just saying that like if it's a stand up, maybe is a good advice. If it's just storytellers in terms of like you just create a world with your words, and that seems like not worth it to, to change it just because someone was a little bored. I don't know. No. Anyway, um, so the twink says that when he was younger, he would just close his eyes and really immerse himself in the story, not caring uh, about whether anyone else liked it, only that he did, which is okay. A nice place to start where there seems to be this implication that this is kind of the ideal that he needs to return to, which I don't know. It, it, that doesn't sound reasonable to me. Like, you need someone else to like your story. Like if you're going to perform it for other people and you're the only one who likes it, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So that being said, uh, Gabrielle says that, oh, but if you don't like your story, nobody else will. And, and that that is fair. I am on board with that. Um, I do believe that if you're bored by what you're creating, others will experience that boredom as they consume that thing. So if you're excited and interested as the creator, it's more likely that the audience will feel that as well. Totally. And that's actually the first thing that Gabby says and I can agree with. So at that point, uh, Gabrielle and the twink are talking and the reception desk lady comes up and tells Gabrielle that they need to speak. So it's clear that the jig is up. We see Gabrielle then stand in front of the lady and the man who was not actually stabbed. And they say that they know that she wasn't registered and it was the daddy who told them. 
they tell Gabrielle, well, after all this, you must leave. Back in Gabrielle's room, all her bard buddies are sad, and one of them says that goodbyes are hard. Which, of course, leads to yet another flashback to Gabrielle meeting Iolas. Gabrielle just cannot get enough of the attention she gets yeah. from those dudes when she's telling those stories. Mm-hmm. Before Gabrielle starts to tell the story, Euripides tries to make some sort of Greek tragedy statement about blah 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 and blah 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 and like his buddy who's stuttering who is this nicest guy out of them all it seems he says no I'm just saying goodbyes are hard it's like a, a cute moment it is it is so at that point one of the bards gets an idea they discuss it amongst themselves and they ask Gabrielle to stay for the competition not explaining what their idea was So the next day we see Gabrielle come into the audience and the daddy notices her disapprovingly. So the first person, uh, the stuttering guy, is invited onto the stage, but he just stands there, doesn't say anything. The judges ask whether something is wrong and he tells them that he and some others actually are refusing to participate in the competition unless Gabrielle is reinstated. My problem with that is that there are like, what, four of them? And the competition is significantly larger. Like, they can just easily be disqualified and the competition wouldn't lose that significant a portion of the contestants. Anyway, the the jury seems intrigued. So Gabrielle is told to get onto the stage. And as for competition story, Gabrielle goes with episode four, Cradle of Hope, (laughs) featuring the ping pong baby. Yep. Which is by far the worst episode of the series so far. Like at the end of each episode that we record, we give um, a certain number of chakrams out of 10 uh, to like rate the episode. And we've been giving most episodes sevens and eights and nines out of 10. And that one was a unanimous two. Because it was bad. That's how bad that episode was. (laughs) And this is what Gabrielle picks. Okay. Anyway, the plot, again, demands that the jury is impressed, so they are. And one of them even says that art will never be slave to rules and regulations. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was especially funny for me to hear that phrase in, in the episode, because that day I also watched a video about the history of blacklists and union busting in Hollywood. And it's like, no, sometimes art will definitely be slave to rules and regulations. Definitely, like in it seems like that's a universal thing yeah. throughout the times. Uh, but yeah, I also find it funny that Gabrielle chose the absolute worst episode to retell. But on the other hand, there's a baby in it, so the stakes are high, I guess. Sure. And then we threw that baby up in the air, and then it didn't die. Surprise! <laughs> I was surprised when I was watching the that episode that this kid didn't die. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So we jump forward in time a bit to the very end of the Twink's performance. And as he steps backstage, he's praised by his fellow competitors, but the daddy tells him that it was terrible. And uh, he demands that uh, the Twink start telling the story again, immediately. Like he just got off the stage. He's like, mm-hmm. nope, redo it, redo it right now. So the twink has this like moment of kind of chuckling and disbelief for a second. 
and then he's like oh i guess i guess i have no choice here so um he gives up starts telling the story again and he briefly glances to his friends as he does and the daddy interrupts him tells him to keep the eyes on him smacks him on the forehead um tells him to restart so the twink restarts but the daddy then has yet another criticism that another until the twink snaps and runs away yeah uh we then cut to a another clip for a movie and it's a peplum mm -hmm. but there's a lizard man in it no idea what's happening like what the hell i i don't know what's going on but i would gladly see that film that seems like a great category b movie yeah yeah so in, in that movie the lizard man fights um a, a man man <laughs> and it's uh, clear from the narration style that it's our action bard stallonis mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. time he gets so into it that he falls from the top bunk bed <laughs> <laughs> um gabrielle in her signature heart style tells the guy that if he adds some character stuff he has a chance to live through the competition um wow thanks gabrielle yeah. <laughs> so it seems that the competition is not over because at first it wasn't clear that there were multiple rounds we, we just saw saw one round and there was going to be another one so mm -hmm. the daddy walks in and tells gabrielle that it seems that she has won because orion has quit the competition and left for home and so he he uses the name orion which like I understand that the Twink's original name is being kept secret for the sake of the big reveal at the end, but I just find it really weird that a name that Gabrielle kind of threw in as a random suggestion a couple of days ago has become so fully established that his own father uses it. Like, come on, no, no, no. It doesn't seem that this guy would be the guy where like you come up to him and say, "Daddy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my name is Orion now." Could you call me that, please? He would just smack you on the head. He yeah. would not do it. And it would be very easily avoidable if he would just say, my son, and that's it. Absolutely. So that's a, that's a weird decision on the part of the screenwriters. So Gabrielle runs after the twink, and she tries to persuade him to go back to the competition. And the twink says that it's not fun anymore for him, so he doesn't want to do it, to which Gabrielle answers that maybe he should try to make it fun again, which is fair. What is not fair is that she also tells him that his father loves him. What evidence of that has she seen? Like everything that we have seen with that character tells us that he is an absolute crap father and nothing tells us that he loves the guy. <laughs> no, no. He's just using his son to, I don't know, like become the father of this established bard i guess i don't know the, yeah. he, he is a pageant mom through and through yeah he really is anyway the twink says that he doesn't even know how to tell his own stories so gabrielle just tells him to focus on the journey not the destination and the twink is convinced so he goes back but tells the daddy that he will do it his own way so we cut to gabrielle performing in the final and she tells everyone that she and Xena became friends. That's it. That's the story. That, like, there's literally nothing else in it. 
Um, we <laughs> get some flashbacks from episode two, Chariots of War, featuring Porno Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the narration is just full on generic. We met and we went on adventure stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's it. And the jury is in tears. They're literally crying. Like clearly, it's a triumph. We just have to accept that. Yeah. So then it's the Twink's turn. And uh, he chooses to tell the story of Spartacus. So we literally see clips from the movie Spartacus with Kirk Douglas. That's awesome. And I I mean, that makes sense because everybody else just had those snippets of those, I guess, less popular peplums. Mm -mm. And here we have this big, iconic movie. And we have to establish somehow that this character actually is special and his mm-hmm. stories once he gets rid of the daddy are actually very good mm-hmm. so that's that is what i'm saying like that's a very clear and concise way to do it so that that was cool for sure if only they did it for the rest of it well they cannot cannot do it for gabrielle no. unfortunately no. <laughs> so in the end interestingly enough it seems like gabrielle doesn't get in uh, because she talks to the twink and uh, clearly the context of the conversation is that he's going to go to the academy and she isn't. Mm-hmm. And um, the twink gives her a chaste little peck on the cheek, which is very cute. And thanks Gabrielle for helping him find a way to be himself. And Gabrielle finally pushes the twink to reveal his original name. And we finally find out that it's Homer two points here first he had the story of closing his eyes and then just telling a story and we know that homer has been called the blind bard but we don't know exactly why like was he really blind Mm -hmm. or was that a nickname Mm -hmm. and they say in this episode that like they're calling him the blind bard now because he closes his eyes and then he just starts telling the story Mm -hmm. which is a nice touch the third like the, the second point is that it's interesting in terms of the order of the episodes that we just saw Helen of Troy and the story of Iliad. Mm. That is going to be the story that Homer tells and makes super famous. Mm-mm. And then we see the origin story of Homer himself, which is kind of cool. And the third point that it's not surprise to anyone by now, but just just because I want to, I will throw in that there is a 400-year difference between Euripides and Homer. But who cares? Oh, well. <laughs> Details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, after that, we cut to Xena walking along a path with Argo, and Gabrielle joins her. And weirdly, Xena doesn't look surprised, she doesn't look happy, which is a bit strange, given how she was fairly certain that she wouldn't see Gabrielle for years at that point. Mm, I think it's just Xena being Xena, not showing proper emotions again. Gabrielle then reveals that she actually won the competition, but she decided that uh, she would rather live the life of adventures instead of talking about them. And lo and behold, they immediately run into a gang of baddies and Gabrielle is excited to see them and says that it would make a great story. But why, Gabrielle? I personally feel like that story would be exciting but empty. (laughs) Yeah, no moral. Although I'm sure that she would put in something cheesy at the end of it just for the heck of it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that's the episode and the funny titles at the end say additional thanks to Steve Reeves. And I looked him up and he's an American professional bodybuilder and actor who, from the stills that I see on his IMDb page, has starred in those peplums that they showed. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that he was fighting the lizard. He was the man-man who was fighting the lizard man. (laughs) So, yeah, and he was alive at the time that this episode aired so i wonder maybe he just gave permission to use his archive or something that would be cool like he was born in 1926 he was pretty old then but Mm -hmm. all right so how many chakrams out of 10 would you give this episode so i know it's flawed but in terms of attention to detail and the fact that it's really creative in terms of how the episode handles all the storytelling a nine Oh my god. Oh my god. And nine. For me, it's a nine. Holy shit, girl. I was contemplating a ten. What the but... fuck? But there are some issues, so a nine. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> okay. How much you would give this episode? A four. A four? A four? A four? It's so funny. It's so creative. No. It notices those little details about life, like the receptionist who wants to get rid of you. (laughs) Oh my god, the receptionist. Yes, it's a ten. I mean, it's fair. I think that I love it so much because that's very much the environment that I know, and that they captured well, so fair. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that concludes our uh, review of episode 13, and we'll be back soon to discuss episode 14 called A Fistful of Dinars. All right, bye. Bye.